0: you 're listening to another great message from northside Community Church. Well, we start a new series tonight, a new series for the next six weeks as we head headlong into Easter. We are almost there. Can you believe that this time of the year? We are already a quarter of the way through, and as we do that we 're going to look at a concept that I think is fundamental it 's at the heart. Uh, of most of the mind, of most societies around the world, but particularly our Western society, and that is the concept of freedom. Aren't all the great movies, Braveheart, Lord of the Rings, aren't, aren't all the great movies about freedom? More importantly, aren't all the great songs about freedom? I mean, George Michael wrote one, right? I think George Michael sums up the world's definition of freedom so perfectly because he says all we have to do is to take these lies and to make them true somehow. And all we have to see is that I don't belong to you and you don't belong to me. Freedom. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the that's how the everyday person that's how the world sees freedom. Worldly freedom is this is that uh, all we have to do is take these lies and make them true somehow. That is, we have to construct our own reality of truth in some way. But most importantly, I don't belong to you and you don't belong to me. So in other words, the everyday person's view of freedom is this, that freedom is merely the absence of restrictions. I'm only free unless I have, you know, I'm, I'm free of anything limiting me. And what, what I want to aim at doing tonight is to see that it's a little bit More nuanced than that, because the Bible says, please, that's not freedom, absence of restrictions. I don't belong to you and you don't belong to me. (laughs) See, the Bible says, please, on one hand, the Bible says there is an ultimate truth. And we'll get to that throughout this series. But most importantly, the Bible says freedom is not merely the absence of restrictions. I'll prove it. Here's why. Um, A little boy, he, he he wants a pet dog desperately, so... He says, "I'm kind of a pet dog." She says, you're "Not having a pet dog, they make a mess around the house and they molt." And uh, no, you're not going to have a pet dog. So I'm going to buy you a pet fish. So Mum buys him a pet fish, and he takes it home excitedly, and he's got it in the bag there, and he takes it upstairs, and it's wonderful there. The mother doesn't hear from him all afternoon, and he he comes back down, and and she says, "Oh, Billy, you know, how was how's your new pet? How's it going?" Uh, and he's like, it went really well, except when I pulled it out of the tank and we played for a while, it just, it just stopped playing. <laughs> for the fish, you know, he, he was the great liberator, wasn't he? Liberating the fish out of this oppressive thing we call fish tanks, right? Uh, but you see, f- freedom is not the absence of restrictions. Freedom is finding the restrictions that you were built for. And submitting yourselves to those. And so just like a fish in water, true freedom is not merely the absence of restrictions. True freedom is both freedom from something, but it's a freedom for something. And so this series, what we want to look at is how the object of the cross, fitting as we come to Easter, how the object of the cross is the most wonderful and nuanced and complicated and beautiful explanations to the answer of the problem of what is freedom in the world. It's an, and by the way, it's an unconventional freedom, as we'll see tonight. We'll see that the cross is a freedom from things like the world and from guilt and from yourself, but the cross is also a freedom for things like good and a freedom for serving others and a freedom for your true enjoyment. So the cross is both a freedom from and a, and a freedom for, and that's where we're going to go for the next Six weeks, but tonight here's where we're simply going to go that the cross can be freedom from the world, and and so uh, look at that. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 12 through to 16. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. I was a profound toddler. I was quite profound as a toddler because Dad asked me once as a toddler, Sam, what is heaven like? I thought about it for a little while and I said, Dad, um, heaven is being able to go to the fridge and pour your own juice. Heaven is being able to go to the fridge and to pour your own juice. Now, why, why is that so profound? Because even as a three year old or whatever I was at the time, that's the definition of the world's freedom, right? Freedom uh, is the Rolling Stones concept of uh, I'm free to do what I want any old time. But the world's definition of freedom is to be able to make distinct, uh, decisions without limits. To make decisions without limits. Now, here's the thing. We live in a country where as grown-ups, we can effectively pour our own juice, right? Would you agree that we are a relatively free nation in this incredibly blessed country? And yet we are as anxious, yet we are as frustrated, yet we are as unsatisfied as those that are often under the grips of oppression. Why is that? I guess what I'm asking is, is it, is it possible because you're not really free at all? Is, is it possible because even in the context of relative freedom compared to the rest of the world, you're still a slave? You're not a slave to oppressive governments. You're a slave to things like OPOs, other people's opinions. You're a slave to achievement. You're a slave... To impressions you're a slave to your family and see the promise of this passage paul is saying he's saying when i came to the cross i discovered a dynamic where all of those things of the world other people's opinions and achievements and and career and all the good stuff didn't mean anything to me anymore it was dead to me he says it was crucified to me and for the first time i was free i was he was free in prison He was free in shackles. He found a true freedom. And you know what sort of freedom it was? It was an unconventional freedom. That's what we're asking tonight. How's the cross an unconventional freedom? Here's the first way that the cross is an unconventional freedom. The first way it's unconventional is it's offensive. The cross is offensive. Uh, Verse 12, those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised, and the only reason that they do this, the only reason is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. So the first thing I want you to get tonight, that is if you get Christianity, if you get the cross, it will offend you. That's a good thing, by the way. It will offend you. That's what we see in verse 12, because there's two different types of teachers, quick, Bible background context is Paul's writing this big letter. Verse 11, he says, See what large letters I use as I write with my own hand. He's not talking about the size 24 font. He's talking about the length of his letters. See what large... This is a big issue in the church because false teachers have come into the church and there's, there's two differing opinions on the systems of how you are finally right with God. We call that salvation in the church. And so the false teachers were saying simply, here's how it works, is you have to, you're right with God if you believe in Jesus and then you obey by getting the snip boys, that's what it was, and then you might be saved. So believe first, do something in obedience, and then you might be saved and right with God. And Paul says that's not it at all. Paul says the way you're saved is you have faith in Jesus, then you're saved and accepted by God, and then therefore that's why you want to obey. Can you see the difference? You know, the, 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 the false teachers are saying, you obey first and then maybe you're saved. And Paul's saying, no, you're accepted first and therefore you obey. And that's we've talked about this. As a result, a Christian now obeys God, not because they have to, but because they want to. The, Paul is saying the purity and the wonder of the gospel, if we deviate from that, uh, chapter 1 he says, if even an angel deviates, that may they be condemned to hell deviates from this message that Christianity is the only religion in the world where you've got to work out what you're going to do when you realize that you need not do anything at all. You don't need to get yourself right. Don't need to go through some confirmation classes. Don't need to square your life up. That's what Paul is saying. And so why were there these differences in the system? They're trying to avoid persecution. Why are they avoiding persecution? Because the message of the cross is offensive. It's offensive how? It's, it's offensive because the cross the cross has been and still is a universal monument to humanity's inability to fix the real problems in the world. That's what the cross is. That's why it gets up people's noses. These issues, these real problems that will cover more depth in the coming weeks, they're the big issues of the self-centeredness of the human heart. The big issues of the problem of evil and suffering in the world. They're, they're, the big issues of unforgiveness. They're the issues that, that plague us all will come to them. But uh, tonight I just want to frame this up for us. We can't go into depth now. But you see the modern person comes in and they hear that. And, and they say, what problem? There aren't, there aren't, big, there aren't big problems. There, there's not issues. You, you, I know what the real issues. Is. I watch Q&A on a Monday night. I know the big issues because the intellectuals say, well, the, the big issues is education and the big issues is a lack of wisdom and the big issues is philosophy and, and that's what the intellectuals see. But on the other hand, uh, the, the, the common people, the everyday people say, you know what, like the big issues is not all that la da sort of stuff. The big issues is you just live a good life, you're a decent person, earn a good wage, be good to kids. Uh, that's what the everyday person says. And so on one hand, the Gospels and the cross is offensive to the intellectual. It's also offensive to the, to the common person. It's wonderfully de- democ- democratic. <laughs> it's wonderfully equal because it says the big issues are not racism or intolerance or oppression or economic management or, fo- or philosophy. They're, they're all just the leaves on the underlying weed. Nor is it saying that it's just about living a good life. It's wonderfully democratic. And and here's why. Because the the mere presence of the cross is an engine warning light to the world. Has anyone ever had one of them? It's an engine warning light to the world that when you look up the manual and say, what the heck is this coming on in my life? You suddenly realize that you lack the ability to diagnose what the fundamental issues are, but more importantly, you lack the capacity to fix it. That's what the cross is. And, 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 and anyone who's a Christian comes in and feels that. that anyone who's a Christian has seen that the cross says the real problems of humanity are so big that God himself had to come down and incarnate in the form of Jesus and live the life that you and I should have lived and die the death that we deserved. And, and in order to fix this up and reconcile us to God. And see, can't you see, if you, you know, you're a modern person, that if, if your scope of the problem is, is limited merely to the intellectual or the common person's issues, that if your scope is limited to intellectual integrity or dedicated decency on the other hand, then you're not really thinking through the implications as to why Jesus had to die on the cross in the first place. Why did he have to die? One commentator explains it like this. Imagine, imagine that your house is burning down and, and you've, you've gotten all your possessions out of the house and all the kids are out and your pet dog because you've just bought one because the goldfish died a couple of weeks before. And you got everything out of the house and you're watching this house burn down and it's terribly sad and, and you got, you're, just, you're just feeling it. You, you're devastated. And then your next door neighbor comes up to you and says, look, I'm going to show you how much I love you. And they run headfirst into the fire and perish. I mean, are you going to say to them, oh my goodness, what a wonderful neighbor? No, you're going to say, you're an idiot. But on the other hand, what if you've got all the possessions out and you've got the dog out, but your only child is stuck in that thing? The fire department come along; they're holding you back as you scream and you look into that place. And a neighbor comes up to you and says, I'm going to show you how much I love you. And they run headfirst into the fire. And at the last minute, you see your only child flung out the door to safety. Not at the risk of your neighbor's life, but at their cost. He ran into the fire. And here's the thing. When you see this story and this picture of the cross, there is either something Seriously wrong and seriously up with the world for God to do this in the person of his own son. Or he's a crazy fool. And I struggle in my own intellectual comprehension to see the wonder and the beauty and the majesty and the grandness to think that God would be that stupid. He's either crazy or the scope of the problem is far bigger than you ever imagined. And what it means for you is you have to look into the depths of your heart and the first point when you approach Christianity, you start to go, ouch, you're starting to feel that. you start to think, maybe maybe this could be me. Michael Jackson got it right, didn't he? I'm looking at the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. No message could be any clearer, right? If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make the change. That's Galatians 7. Verses. <laughs> Do you feel that? It, it, it's offensive, right? It's offensive. Anyone who's a Christian has felt that. Now, let me explain it quickly. In other words, I call it the Machu Picchu principle. I, uh, Dad and I were 2,000 feet above the valley floor on the top of this tiny little peak called Hiawana Picchu. Anyone been there? we're gasping for breath because you are so far above sea level that the oxygen is really thin. Dad had to have all sorts of special oxygen to be there. We'd spent an hour and a half climbing up all these stairs that were waist height to get to the top of this peak in order to see the magnificent view. And as we looked back down the stairs, we thought, we don't really want to do that again. And at the top of this peak, we saw another pathway that was going out over the back of the mountain. And so in all of my uh, infinite wisdom, I thought, why don't we take that path? That leads off the back into the Amazon jungle. Let's, let's do that. That's surely a way to take us back down to where we're, it's in the opposite direction, but we're going to go. And so dad says, all right, I'll go with where you're at. I think he was suffering from the oxygen sickness, to be honest. And as we are traversing back down a path that was double the steepness and we are ascend, we are descending at a rate that is double what we've climbed this thing. So we've climbed for an hour and a half. Here's the picture. And at, at about the two and a half hour mark of descending, at double the rate of ascending, Dad saying, hey, "Sam, are you sure that you know where we're going?" "Oh, it's fine, Dad. Seriously, yeah, it's in the Lonely Planet. I think uh, the book's full of wisdom." And and so as we as we got to that point and realised that we have been descending at double the rate for almost twice as long as what we ascended, I started to get that sick feeling in my stomach. And we kept going, and it just kept gnawing at me and gnawing at me, and it kept getting worse and worse. And Dad saying, you sure?" "Yeah, I know, Dad. Trust me, just." Shush, I know where I'm going. <laughs> and until like like a like a, a beacon of light, as it, it just came out and, and stood to us, there was a sign. And there was a sign that, that, that said temple of the moon that way, and I'm sure it said Amazon jungle and near death the other way. That was the direction that we were headed. But there was a sign. And that sign at that very moment, you know what that sign was? The first thing I, I felt with that sign, it was offensive. That was an offensive sign. Why? Because I'd spent two and a half hours telling my dad as we're descending into the jungle that I knew what I was doing. But at the very same time, it was incredibly liberating because not only was it offensive, but beyond the offence, there was liberation. There was a pathway back home. And so, friends, I've got to ask you tonight, whether you're coming at Christianity for the first time or whether you've been doing it for years, you know, do you see the cross as that signpost in the, here he, one he of of the great adventure that is your life? It's offensive. It, it's in your face. It says, you don't know where you're going. You don't. You don't comprehend the scope of what the real issues are in your life. But as we lead to the next point tonight, it can point you to liberation and this unconventional freedom. You see, it's unconventional because it's not only... It's not only offensive, but here's the other thing. It's restrictive. It's unconventional because it's a restrictive freedom. And that's what we said. The Bible's quite different from the world's view. It's here, verse 14, Paul says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So the world's been crucified, me and I to the world. So when he says the world's been crucified to me, he's not saying that the crucifixion of Jesus Christ kills the world. You know, like some big atom bomb that just, just we're all still alive, we're all still going. It's not about the, the death of Jesus on the cross, killing the world. What it means because of the cross, the world is killed to you. In, in other words, he's saying there's a dynamic that if you can get this here tonight in the cross... That the things of the world, it's possible to come into your life in such a way that the things of the world doesn't faze you. Take a look at yourself maybe for a second. Are you worried? Are you lonely? Are you down? Are, Are you overly anxious? Are you restless? Are you sleepless? Are you incredibly angry? Are you incredibly frustrated? This passage is saying take a look at yourself. And what it's saying is it is possible that if you restrict yourself to this one thing, that you can have victory over those sorts of feelings in your life. It's possible to do that. How? It's in this small, small phrase. As He says, what is he saying there? May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which has been crucified to me. May I never boast. It's a Greek phrase that means that me genoito. I didn't study the pronunciations of Greek. That's just how it reads. (laughs) But but it's what it means. It literally means, may it never be so. What Paul is saying, absolutely, I absolutely under no circumstances ever, ever, never, ever, ever will do anything but this focus on the cross of Christ. Never. Never. Now, he's not saying, oh, well, whatever Jesus did or said doesn't matter. But he's saying in comparison, those things don't come even close to the power and the dynamic you can have if you get this. And you restrict to this. Now, why would he use such strong language? Here's what it means a couple of thousand years later. If you were being thrown by the world around you, if you've been battered by the world around you, it's because, Paul's saying, you are boasting in something other than the cross of Jesus Christ. And what's boasting? Boasting is what Rocky did. Rocky Balboa, right, in that great movie. Rocky, you know, is Adrian. And all the, all the training, all of that he says to the great line of the movie, if I, if I can just go the distance, then I'll know. If I can just go the distance, then I'll know that I'm not a bum. I'll know that I'm not worthless. I'll know that I'm not... If I can just stand up through a fight all the way, if I can go the distance, then I'll know I'm something. You see, everyone has a center. That's what it means to boast. To boast on something is to look at that center. Everyone has to live for something, something that will give us a sense of significance or satisfaction. For Rocky, it was going the distance. But for us, we all have a personal center, a bottom line, an ultimate value for which the sorts of things, all activities of your life, all get reordered and prioritized according to that center. That is the thing that you boast in. To boast is to take that, right? That thing that is most special to you is the most central to you. And for some of us, it might be career, for some it's possessions, For some it's family, for some it's looks, for some it's romance, for some it's friendship groups, for some it's achievement, for some it's good causes, for some it's moral character, for some it's religion, for some it's children, for some it's several or all of those things. But whatever it is, like Rocky, you are either consciously or unconsciously saying, without this, I'm a bum. Without this I'm nothing. Without this I'm insignificant. That's what it means to boast in something other than the cross. To boast in that something other than the cross is to say there is something in my life that this is my glory, and this is my significance, and this is my worth, and this is the something that if I don't have it, what good am I? Ever done that before? No, I have. I'm constantly coming out from under this. Constantly. The things that we have to have. And so you know what it it therefore means? You know what it means? Is it possible that we're, we're really not free? Is it possible that we boast in these things? Everyone's a slave, friends. That's what the Bible says. A slave to OPOs. Whatever we live for has control over us, says the Bible. We don't control uh, ourselves. The thing we boast about controls us. Remember Bob Dylan? Well, some of you might not remember Bob Dylan because you're born in the 90s and he's a veteran of the 60s. But those are a little bit right? Some of the older congregation. He says you're going to serve somebody. You might like to sing. You might like to dance. You might be a king. You might be the ambassador to France, but you're going to serve somebody. Oh, yeah, you're going to serve somebody. And Dylan got it right. You know, can't you see why now? It's not freedom is not just about the absence of restrictions. That someone has a hold of your heart, someone or something has a hold of your heart. You are a slave to someone or something. And the modern idea that to be free is to simply have an absence of restrictions. That to be free is merely to be able to make decisions without limits. Can't you see that that modern definition? It's fiction. It doesn't exist. There's no such middle ground. You are either a slave to God or you're a slave to something else, but you're never your own. You're either serving the Lord or you're serving something else that's the Lord of your life. And this is radically different from the modern view of freedom. And that is, unless God is the absolute Lord of your life, then you're an absolute slave to something else. Where do we, where do we go from here? We could pray. <laughs> But if we, if we do that, we, we could leave here feeling a little bit depressed. But here's, here's the principle that I want you to take away tonight. You, you, first of all, you're going to boast. First of all, you're going to live for someone or something. There has to be something that you look for to give you meaning in life. And the second thing is, whatever you live for, you're serving and whatever you boast in is really controlling Here's how you know what you're boasting in this week. What angers you? What frustrates you? What gets under your skin? What rattles you? What makes you feel guilty? What makes you feel, 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 feel fearful? What drives you? That's, that's what you're boasting in. And I've got to ask you, how's the boasting going for you? How's that working for you? (laughs) Yeah? You were made for nobler things, brothers and sisters. You were made for nobler things. You were made... To have the great vacuum of love that is the human heart, you are made for that. To glory in the wonder and the grandness of God, come under the offense, come under the restriction of the cross of Jesus Christ tonight. It's an unconventional freedom, right? It's totally unconventional. It's offensive and it's restrictive. That's good news tonight. Go try sharing that with your workmates tomorrow. Oh, I'm lucky. We're at least half sympathetic to this message, but the gospel, the gospel, the cross of Christ is offensive, friends. Because it flies in the face of George Michael's theology, right? His theology was all we have to do now is to take these lies and to make them true somehow, and all we have to see is that you don't belong, I don't belong to you, and you don't belong to me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know you're singing it. Yeah, I know you. See it. it's, it's, people are downloading it now on iTunes. I don't listen to that when I get in the car. Hey, look, I, I don't, I don't belong to you, and you don't. Come on, get real, says the Bible. Get real, says the Bible. 1 Corinthians 2.3, Paul says you were bought at a price. Don't ever walk through as a Christian thinking oh, I think you did that you don't belong to anyone. You do. You were bought at a price. Real freedom, true freedom. The freedom of the cross is that he belongs to you and you belong to him. How? Restriction. That he who had the ultimate freedom, everlasting glory with the Father, veiled his divinity in the depths of his humanity. And deliberately restricted himself, had himself handed over to men, was crucified. The gospel freedom says he came to model that for us. That's the freedom that he came to set us into, not the absence of restriction, but a restriction in love. The degree to which you get this tonight, guys, the de- degree to which you get the offense, friend. There are all sorts of different people here tonight. But there's no neutrality at the cross. Whether you're a Christian or a non Christian, it should offend you. It needs to offend you. But to go any either way and to be neutral to it means that that you're failing to get what Christianity is all about. But most importantly, most importantly, in its offence it's the great sign at the backside of, of a jungle mountain. It says there is a pathway home tonight, friends. That yes, whilst the problems, the fundamental ones in the world and at the very center of your heart, they're fixable, they're redeemable, and there's a way home. Look to the cross, friends. Stand at the foot of the cross as we come to this time of ministry. Where do you sit with it all? There can be no neutrality. Let's pray.